Welcome to Down the Rabbit Hole Enterprise Security News. All the news relevant to you and your business, squeezed into 20 minutes or less. And now, welcome your Monday morning information security quarterbacks, James Jardine and the White Rabbit, Rafael Lopes. All right, and episode 35, Down the Rabbit Hole podcast, Down the Rabbit Hole newscast. This is Raph. James, what's up, dude? Hey, I'm uh, ready to talk about some news tonight. I'm pretty excited about it. We've got some interesting items. Five things on the news that kind of both of us uh, thought were pretty interesting. I'm going to start with the uh, interesting thing Brian Krebs wrote about March uh, 26th. Missouri court rules against 440 thousand dollar cyber heist victim that was an interesting story yeah i mean i really find this there's a couple aspects i find interesting about it uh you know really the point of the story is is they're saying that the court's ruling against the bank customer because they you know decided to opt out of the extra security measures that the bank was offering even though what appears to be the extra security measures were multiple password-protected authentication schemes. All right, and so Missouri, uh, Mississippi, and a couple of their states have adopted this thing called the Uniform Commercial Code, which basically says that, uh, payment, which uh, holds that payments orders received by the bank is effective as order of the customer, whether or not authorized. Now, there's a key right there, whether or not authorized. If the security procedure is, and I quote, commercially reasonable method providing security against unauthorized payment orders, blah, blah, blah. Basically, it says, look, uh, if, the, if, if the bank uh, gets a payment order and we have a reasonable belief that it's from you, maybe it's not from you, maybe it is from you. But if we've adopted what we consider commercially reasonable methods of security, eh, it's your, you're out of luck. Exactly. And that's what we're seeing is that they turn down in writing the use of these dual controls that they were offered to require two different password accounts to authorize a transaction. So that way they could actually just use one account. And of course, one account gets taken and now somebody's authorizing this and they did a one time $440,000 transaction. And now the bank uh, is kind of getting away with this, right? Yeah, I mean, but you know, they're... I don't know, man. I, I would argue that two different, these two different auth methods. All right, fine, two different methods, but they're both passwords. Come on. Yeah, it definitely raises the question of when we talk about multi-factor. Multi-factor doesn't mean multiple passwords, right? I mean, it it looks for something different, but a device, something in our hand, some other factor. We're really not doing multi-factor. We're just doing one factor twice. Right. So this this all boils down to the UCC, which, you know, uh, it's just going to be interesting. You know, the uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens and what we define. It, it, it seems like the courts are going to start defining what is commercially, what is a commercially, commercially, wow, can't even speak today, commercially reasonable method. Right. So, uh, again, we've got courts legislating what is commercially, commercially, what is wrong with me? Commercially reasonable. Um, yeah. I'm not comfortable with that. 
Yeah, that and that's difficult because we don't have anything that really defines what is commercially reasonable expect right? I mean, what is okay there? And now that we're starting to get these cases coming through, we're going to get that defined for us, just like you said. We're expecting judges to be technologists, I think. That's a little scary. I'm not sure I'm okay with that. Yeah, that's never that's never really a good thing. So it'll it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because we know we've had other cases where have been pretty much flip-flopped and the consumer's actually been released of liability when their account's been taken over by use of password. So I'll be interested to see how this goes further, if it goes to an appeals court or uh, what type of changes may occur with this. Yeah, and it's it's actually important to point out that this is only in the commercial sector, right? In the consumer sector, uh, if if you're a customer that loses your money, it's always the bank's fault and they always have to give it back to you. (laughs) Yeah, which works out much nicer. Well, yeah. So what's the next article up for, uh, up for discussion there, buddy? So another nice thing that we saw, I, I guess I say nice thing that we saw, uh, it was pretty big going on. Maybe you saw it, uh, the slowdown of network traffic. Yes, as, I, I, dude, it, was, it was the largest cyber attack ever. <laughs> yeah, I love seeing that in the, the article. And what we're talking about is the massive cyber attack that hits the Internet users. Uh, we saw this on CNN's website where basically Spam House got uh, basically DDoSed, um, which they're concluding came from CyberBunker. The idea is is they marked people off as spammers and they're blocking people and that pretty much made a lot of people upset. So it's, you know, it's people that spam commercially in a bunker versus people that fight spam commercially. Eh, you know, I guess uh, it's two kids in a, in a sandbox uh, beaten up on each other, and I guess the collateral damage, and, and as much as everybody sort of on, on Twitter was sort of made fun of it about the biggest, you know, I, I kind of alluded to it, the biggest cyber attack in history, I guess there was a, a pretty high uh, bandwidth rate. I think I saw someplace uh, like 10, upwards of 10 gig per second or some, something like that. It was it was a pretty, pretty significant, uh, you know, lob of traffic. And uh, it, but Europe saw a slowdown of traffic. I don't think anybody in the U.S. noticed. Yeah, exactly. And that was that was the thing. I mean, two players, as you will, right? The spamming industry and these guys that are trying to stop spammers, their feud kind of spilled out of that sandbox and started affecting way more people than originally uh, predicted. You know, oh, we'll just knock these guys down, and now all of a sudden it's it's bled out and a whole ton of people are now getting affected by this. Uh, and it ha- you know, has big concern how far that could go if it's that easy to cause that much slowdown on the internet. Well, I guess that's true. Well, I mean, think about it, right? You can clog some, especially if there's you know, transatlantic pipes that get clogged or, you know, uh, some kind of, you got one carrier that holds a lot of country to country fiber or network, right? Um, that can cause a significant amount of um, backlog on the internet, packets slow down, and create some traffic. But I think I, I gotta love the fact that uh, Cloudflare got in the middle of this one, <laughs> as per the usual. Anytime there's a DDoS story, Cloudflare is in the middle of it. Yeah, exactly. It's it'll be interesting to see if anything more comes out of it. Uh, but it was, you know, it it didn't last long. I don't think in the news, right? It was there. It was a huge, oh, massive cyber attack, and then it kind of died gone. off. And, yeah, I guess, you know, technology news, everything kind of drops like that as well. Um, but what I would like to move on to 
is our next article where we talk about Schnucks Food and Pharmacy, where they actually got breached. And there was an article that came out talking about them and how they found and contained their credit card fraud source. All right, James, I got to ask you. Every time you, I, I like saying schnucks because you automatically think Three Stooges. I do. You know, I, I can see somebody <laughs> snapping fingers and pointing somebody in the eyes. <laughs> yeah, when I, when I think of that. And it's funny because here in Florida, we don't have schnuck. Uh, so I'd never, I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh man, I hope I'm even pronouncing this thing right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it does. It makes you, it's, it's like the Piggly Weekly, you know, right. it's just right. got that same connotation to it. Yeah. Well, I, I think that the article, we'll post this, it was in uh, STL, uh, STLT today. Uh, it was very interesting because it used the phrase, uh, I'll read the sentence for you, a computer forensics team hired by the grocery store chain found evidence of, quote, computer code that con- uh, captured magnetic strike data. So they didn't say the word malware, <laughs> but it was computer code. Right. I guess maybe they didn't want that negative connotation that it would be malware. Is there other kinds of code? I, I, all code is malware, isn't it? <laughs> well, I mean, but there's, it's, it was computer code. Is there evidence of some other kind of code? Like, I mean, is, is DNA going to start doing uh, credit card? I code? hope not, because this would be a way bigger article. <laughs> right. If there was some other type. Yeah, I love pointing out little things like that. It drives my wife nuts when I do it. Uh, you know, when they kind of say stuff they don't have to say. We know it was computer code. Uh, what I find interesting, though, is they they talked to some of the people that shop there. You know, one person was, you know, I was going to pay cash, but, you know, now I'm going to use my card. I feel safe now that, you know, they've identified where the source is and they, they know what's going on. They've stopped it. So I feel safe. And we've seen this with other retailers where when they get a breach like this, people actually have no problem continuing to use their credit card or anything because they feel safer. I actually think that's the bigger story, right? I actually think that, yeah, somebody else got popped and some malware stole some credit cards, whatever. I mean, for crying out loud, the credit card is probably the most disposable, reissuable thing that we have. I mean, if that gets popped, don't cry for me, Argentina. Um, seriously, I, I don't even know if anybody honestly cares anymore. But what I find interesting is they, you know, Shucks came out and said, yes, you know, we found it, we've contained it, and they highlighted it in this article. This uh, Sandy Reed says, I was going to make cash, but I'm going to use my credit card now. And the end of this this paragraph is, I'm okay now, I feel safe. What base, yeah. What do you base that on? I mean, uh, it, it, it cracks me up that, you know, from an enterprise side, perfect scenario yeah hey we found it we we're letting the customer know we've identified the source we know what's going on we fixed the problem right i i like what they're doing and the fact that they're coming out to say hey i found this but from a customer side i mean anybody could make that up why do i all of a sudden feel safe because they just released out and said hey we found the source well you didn't tell me if you fixed the source you didn't tell me if you did this or did that what what really makes me safer using my credit card now? And there was one part in here where the authorities were still telling people to use cash or check. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I, I'm very uh, careful with who I give checks to. No kidding. You know, I mean, I, I don't give the pizza guy my check because, hey, it's got my banking information on there, and how many sites now let you purchase with your bank account information? Well, all you need is a routing, a, a routing number and an account number, right? And yeah. Done. 
I don't give out checks to people. That's crazy. I'd much rather give you my credit card. Than no, what, yeah, you're right. And, and what I think this actually ultimately speaks to, for me, this ultimately speaks to, for, for those of us in the enterprise, that have, and we've talked about this on this podcast several times, is this notion of loyalty and how, what the consumer tolerance is for issues like this, for breaches, you know, and we saw it in TJX, we saw it in Sony, uh, we'll, we see it in Chinooks here, and, and ultimately, what does it mean? It means, hey, we've there's a problem identified, the vendor comes out and says, yes, we got popped, we did some comprehensive stuff, you know, we're not going to tell you about it because the, the investigation is ongoing, and uh, the consumers go, all right, cool, I'm, I'm, I'm good, all right, and there isn't that long-term reputational damage that we in security have been whining and warning about, is there? No, and that's you know something that we've been talking about different events. Uh, when I talk to other security professionals, it's a big question. You know, reputation is handled many different ways, but it's not always as we're trying to sell it as from the security side. That oh man, you know, if you get breached this is how bad it's going to be. And we never want to highlight that, you know, I don't know the area that this store exists in, but what are other options for the residents there? I mean, you know, are you limited to, oh, well, I have a Schnucks and that's it? Or, oh, I can go across the street to Walgreens or CVS. So, yeah, it's no big deal for me to switch my store. I've got, you, you have so much investment in all these different stores now, right? Everybody's got a special card you swipe for your rewards, all this stuff. I don't want to give all that up. Whoop-de-doo, you got my credit card. You Just know, make it card. better. Yeah, MasterCard will take care of me. They'll remove the funds. They'll give me a new number. I'm good to go. I've spent too much time building my loyalty to just walk away because of one little breach. Yeah, and and we need to start thinking about that in terms of reputation and brand awareness and just how we sell reputation and security. But on that note, I think we got to move on to the story of the dark leech. I just like the sound of that, this whole dark leech thing. And I we mean, are that... coming up with some awesome, awesome names for like uh, whoever designs or decides what they're going to call things. You know, we, we've had some, we've had some you know, night dragon and some kind of cool shifty shady 007 style kind of uh, attacks and names over the years. Dark Leech sounds cool. It does sound cool, although it doesn't really sound, you know, from reading the article, it doesn't really sound like it matches the problem. No, it doesn't. Uh, you know, but the idea from this is that all these Apache servers are getting a, an Apache module installed on them, and yet we still don't know how they're getting installed, which is interesting. We've done, They've done all this research on 2,000 infected servers and all the, you know, we're estimating 20,000 websites that are infected over the period of time, and yet we still can't figure out how this is getting installed on the systems, which is a concerning factor in itself that we can't figure that out if you've already looked at 2,000 infected servers. That, you know, it installs this Apache module, and then that Apache module is dynamically adding an iframe to the web page. So, yeah, but not even all. if I'm, yeah, and oh, yeah, which is actually really awesome. It, so even if I'm scanning my source code that I have, I'm never going to see this problem because it's being dynamically added to make it more difficult to detect. And yeah, then on top, you know, and then on top of that, uh, I don't know if you saw this where they were saying 
certain IP addresses won't get the injected iframes. Right. This is a this is a uh, this is a, a malware that it's it's basically another one of those watering hole types of attacks. Right. I think we're seeing the attacks uh, start shifting a little bit, and I, I'm sure the intel folks that do intel on this all day long will probably you know correct me or, or have something to say about it because they probably know more than we do what we're reading from uh, from the news. But I, personally, as a public sort of viewer of this, I, I'm starting to see a lot more or notice at least a lot more of these attacks that are coming to places uh, where the users go rather than targeting users directly. And this is the first one I remember seeing of these types of attacks was that one, what was the, it was a business week or a, a while ago where somebody compromised a beta site that they were launching. I think it was business week or business daily, one of those business sites and it, it, ultimately, it was SQL injected into a database, and every time somebody went to, the, to that site, they got a little extra something downloaded, something, something downloaded to their page, or from their page to their uh, browser, you know, Trojan, bam, popped. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting because they were talking about, I, I read a little bit about this, and it talks about how these, this thing is selective. Uh, it only selects certain people. And uh, it's in, you know the the presence for this bug is 58% in the U, uh, within the U.S. Uh, and this comes from uh, the source of Cisco Web Security. So hopefully they're not lying to us. But you know 58% of these infections are inside the U.S. It's it's a little interesting. Yeah, and I like the I, I find it interesting where it's saying only certain IP addresses won't be affected because. According to the article, it's saying that they're purposely blacklisting secure known security vendor IP addresses. Yep. So, you know, for the sole purpose, I'm sure of, hey, if the security vendor comes across this, I don't want him to identify it. So let's try to hide a little bit and then your normal user will get. Well, if that's the case, I just want all you malware vendors to know that I am a security vendor. And uh, if you're looking for my IP address, I'll be more than willing to give it to you. So I can surf the web in a much uh, safer fashion. <laughs> and it's, and it's uh, important to note that the first places these things were originally seen uh, in mass were the LA Times. That was that LA Times hack a while back. And then, of course, Seagate got popped and everybody was wondering, I guess we have a name for this thing now. And uh, now that we've left a couple of <laughs> 90 seconds or so in this show, let's talk about Bitcoin. <laughs> Yeah, Bitcoin, you know, a wallet service, Insta Wallet getting hacked and then shutting down indefinitely, uh, which I, I mean, I have to give credit for them being able to say, hey, look, we've got problems. We've got to shut down. And, you know, it's interesting. It's this, the, the way this, this, I guess, virtual currency is being, uh, is being uh, kind of developed, maybe, I think is the word I'm looking for. Um, any one of these exchanges uh, that gets popped is can immediately affect the uh, the value, right? We saw, we've seen a couple of stories across the news wires about this. Uh, ultimately for me, I, I, you know, I think it's interesting. I don't think it's a real viable currency, at least to me for the, uh, for the real world. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's something that's technology tech geeks can, us tech geeks can use it and play with, but I, I just don't see it um, as a viable currency. Not when it's this unstable. Yeah. I you know, it's something that has a long way to go before it's actually useful. And I think that's what we're seeing with this type of hack going on, this breach, is that, you know, there's a lot of architecture that still needs to be hashed out with how this thing works before it's really ready for prime time. And on that note, 
speaking of prime time, we are at our time. Hey, we finished our second episode in exactly, uh, well, almost 20 minutes and in a couple of seconds and change. I'm impressed, Matt. Matt, you know, that's that was our goal and we worked on it from last time. So I, I think we did a great job this time. Cutting it down. Cutting it down. Just a skinny, just a facts, ma'am, just a facts. I wonder how many people, how many people listen to this episode actually know what that's from. <laughs> I don't know. I, I know I could talk a lot, way longer on all this stuff. Uh, so that makes it difficult for me to, to limit it down to the 20 minutes. All the news we can fit in 20 minutes or less without a, having our heads explode. All right, folks, thanks for listening. We'll see you again in two weeks. If you uh, if you find a news story you want to tell us about, you want to have us submit, have us banter on about Wittily. Hopefully it was witty, don't you think? I hope so. And uh, we'll, we'll put it up and talk about it and analyze it and maybe find something interesting. So, James, good to have you, sir. Thank you, sir. Have a great night. Off into the night. Actually, we're off into the night. And But when people are listening to this, it will be bright and early Monday morning. So happy Monday, April 8th. When you're listening to this, folks, take care. So long. Adios. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Down the Rabbit Hole Enterprise Security News. Give us feedback on our website at podcast.whiterabbit.net. That's W-H-1-T-3-R-A-B-B-I-T. Or on Twitter at White Rabbit, W-H-1-T-3-R-A-B-B-I-T. Until next time, on behalf of co-hosts James Jardine and the White Rabbit, Rafael Los, thank you for listening. <laughs>